Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You have found your way to the 230th episode of the podcast, and this is a special episode. Well, it's a special episode in as much as I do this kind of thing every 10 episodes. Every 10 episodes in the podcast, I take a few minutes, about 20 in fact, to interact with three emails or social media chirps or comments on the website. Why do I do this? Well, it's fun. It breaks things up. Instead of talking about one thing for 20 minutes, talk about three things for 20 minutes. It also allows me to kind of interact, well, not kind of interact, to interact with what you are thinking, the questions that you have, the comments that you have. Now, let me be clear. If you email Matthew at castingacross.com, if you comment on an article, if you do anything like that, I will do my best to get back to you. But I like to take a few minutes to riff off of, for lack of a better phrase, uh, something that gets sent my way because it may very well be of use to somebody else. Chances are if one person's thinking about it, there's at least five or six others that thought about it but didn't take the initiative to reach out. So thank you for those that do reach out. So I will get to this and then uh, also stick around. At the end of every podcast episode, I just talk briefly about what was on the website this week and then I also give a recommendation. This week's recommendation, I would really appreciate if you would stick around and listen to it. All right, so the first comment, the first comment was not really a, uh, a criticism or an accusation, but I guess it's, it's the closest thing I've gotten to it recently. So I did an article called Don't Step Past Boot Foot Waiters. Don't Step Past Boot Foot Waiters, in which I sing the praises of a piece of gear that I had turned my nose up at for like the last 25 years. And I got a comment from Ronald. Ronald says, won't ever go back to booted waiters. Never have a problem staying warm in stocking foot waiters. Okay, that's fine. And as I often say about many things, if you have found something that works for you, fantastic. But my thesis for why I use boot foot waders comes down to this. When you put your foot in a stocking foot waiter, you are getting the great benefit of a form-fitting foot option. So we call them booties on the bottom of, of your uh, your waders. The, the ne- often neoprene material forms a booty. So if you have on a wool sock or a cotton sock, but you should probably have a wool sock, whether it be a liner sock and a wool sock or just a wool sock by itself, 
you have that wool sock, and then you have that booty, which is form-fitting, and then that goes into your boot, and you lace your boot up. So where do you have air in that equation? Well, there's a little bit of air that gets trapped in that space in the wool, and that's why wool is such a good choice, whether you're using boot foot waders or using stocking foot waders. But then what happens is that water pressure, as you are in the water, is going to be pushing in on that boot, but then that water is also going to get into that boot, and it's going to push on the stocking foot. So it is going to continually compress the air that's around your foot. Plus, you have the everywhere where your boot, your boot is pressing in on your stocking foot. Plus, you have the fact that you're standing on the soles of your feet, and it's quickly limiting all of that air. What's also happening in that situation is that your ankle is going to be very tight because you're going to want to get that ankle support of a nicely laced and well-tied boot. And so that's going to create another pinch point. So any heat that you're generating from your core, where you're going to be warmest, is making it down to your legs in, in some small way. Again, if you have some sort of pant situation where you're allowing things to breathe. Um, but even if you're only wading up to your shins, that water is going to be pressing in uh, because of the water pressure on your waders, and it's going to limiting the amount of air that gets down from your core into your foot. So it might be minimal on a boot foot wader, but it is exponentially greater than what we would get on a stocking foot wader. So that is why I wear boot foot waders when I am fishing in, but more often than not, hunting in very, very cold weather. And Again, one of the biggest critiques is the stability, the lack of stability. Um, and uh, you, you are going to get that. But if there are a lot of options these days. Some of them have, uh, it's like a BOA system or some sort of strap. Um, other times, it's just about making sure that you find some that fit well. And it might require trying on maybe a dozen pairs. Whereas with stocking foot waders, you might only have to try on two or three pairs to find a good fit in the price range with the features you want. With boot foot waders, you might need to try on multiple options. But I will say that the benefit is that there are a lot of options out there for boot foot waders because that is what a lot of waterfowl hunters are going to be wearing. So a lot of the waterfowl uh, hunting gears brands are making boot foot waders, so you're able to try those on. I also like the fact that they are simple and easy. And those early mornings, just slide something on. If I'm not going to be walking a lot, if I'm not going to be hiking, then it's just nice to slide something on and be done with it. Of course, there's other critiques as well. Like, you know, if, if one piece fails, then both things fail. That's true. Um, and that's definitely worth considering. But I do like the flexibility that I have and the comfort that I have when I'm wearing my boot foot waders. It's also kind of a double-edged sword if you think about it. Because if, if you want stability, then you definitely want to get a, a stocking foot waiter with a boot foot. But if you have such an issue with mobility that it's hard to maybe put on uh, boots when you have your waders on, especially early in the morning if it's cold out, which again, as we get older, if we have any sort of uh, disabilities, then that is a legitimate issue. So that's where a boot foot waiter isn't a bad option. So, or, or financially, if you only can afford one, uh, there's a lot of good reasons for it. So anyway, I could talk about this quite a bit. And I wrote the article. So go check that one out. Let me know your thoughts. Um, I'd be happy to hear from you. So here's another uh, email that I received. And this is actually an email following a interaction, which this time of year, I get a lot of these because I'm talking to people at fly fishing shows. And that just spawns a number of conversations. You probably noticed that 
the content over at Casting Across is very interview um, heavy this time of year because it's on the heels of the uh, fly fishing show season. Um, and this actually came from a vendor uh, named Kyle. And Kyle uh, says that uh, I'm hoping that you would be willing to share your top most important things to consider when starting a podcast. And he asked about some particular things. Um, but, uh, basically saying it's a blank, blank slate. So he'll be enlightened by anything that I have to share. Thanks for any help you provide regards, Kyle. Well, Kyle and I went back and forth and we, we talked about particulars having to do with technology, having to do with hardware, um, having to do with some of the logistical things that go into starting and maintaining a podcast. Um, but there's three things that I passed on with him that I thought would be worth sharing to you, um, not necessarily because you are desirous to start a podcast about fly fishing or anything else, which I'd be, I'm all for it. Uh, go for it. More the merrier. Um, but these things I think are things that I have as uh, important parts of the fly fishing podcast that I do uh, that uh, I think that hopefully you, you can perceive, I want to make explicit and I think are probably good keys to any project that you start. The first one being consistency. I uh, said, so you have to keep episodes coming out with regularity. And so I usually have a backlog so that I always have an episode in the hopper. I try to keep things timely and relevant, but at the same time, I want this to be a podcast that is good for early May of, of uh, 2023, but I want it also to be good for May of 2024. So having a couple episodes in the hopper is good, but consistency matters. I've been putting out something on castingcross.com Monday, Wednesday, and Friday going back to 2016, 2015 now. Um, and I think that's key. It's just, it's making a commitment. Now, if I missed a day, would anybody be disappointed? I'd be disappointed. Is that a standard I'm setting myself up for that's unnecessary? Maybe, but I feel like I can do it. I feel like I can pull it off, and so I'm going to continue to do it. Sometimes I knock it out of the park three, four, five times in a row, and then there's a real stinker. Sometimes there's two stinkers in a row, but uh, I, I have committed myself to consistency. So what, whatever you do, um, whether it be putting out a fly fishing podcast or whether it be improving in fly fishing skills, consistency is key. The more you do it, the better you do. Now, you can always get in a slump. I think about this, like uh, I get into where I'm shooting birds, for example, where I take out a number of birds, just boom, 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 and it's fantastic. And I feel like I'm doing this on autopilot and then I get in a slump. So consistency, it might not yield the uh, quantitative results, but if that consistency spread out over a long enough timeline, you'll get those qualitative results of seeing the benefits of really committing yourself to staying on a schedule, giving it a try. Um, that can happen with exercise. That can happen with doing things with and for your kids. That can have to happen to do with like a work schedule and a work calendar, not just taking whatever comes, you know, at your desk in the morning, but actually having a plan. Consistency, consistency, consistency. Um, the other thing I said is use whatever hosting platform you end up going with, but throw your feed everywhere. So, uh, again, this is for podcast specific, you know, you can find the Casting Cross Flashing Podcast anywhere as far as, as I know. I mean, it's on iTunes, it's on Spotify, it's on Radio Public, it's on um, Amazon Podcast. It's all over the place. And the reason for that is I just want it out there. Um, if you find ways to diversify uh, what you do, that's great. I think that's excellent. I, I only throw casting across articles on four places on social media. But the cool thing about that is, you know, whether whether you use Facebook, which I don't use Facebook very much, whether you use Twitter, which I use Twitter, but only to um, 
keep track of what's going on in the real world and some of the little worlds that I occupy. Um, but putting things out on a wide net, but also kind of uh, consuming things in a wide net. So get inspiration from wide sources and offer yourself up across the uh, the different options that are available. So that's the second thing. The third thing I think is the most important, and this is true for things if you are a content creator, if you are just fishing, if you are making a podcast, it's don't worry about who else is doing something similar. Just worry about what you do and do it as good as you can. So don't worry about who is doing something else that is similar. Just worry about what you do and do it as good as you can. Honestly, every once in a while, you hop online and you're like, oh my goodness, this other podcast is killing it. This other fly fishing website is killing it. There's there's so much good stuff out there. And I'll be honest, every once in a while, I think, ugh, well, that's a little bit discouraging. But then I remember, that's not why I'm doing it. I'm not making casting across anything, podcast, website, stickers, whatever it might be to be at the top of the ratings. If I end up there, fantastic. And every once in a while, you know, I get a, I get automated emails talking about how my podcast is performing or how the website's performing. And it makes it to the top of something. I think, well, that's really cool. And I look at the episode, I look at the article, I'm like, that one? Really? But that's not why I do it. And I don't do it to look at other guys that are doing a podcast. I certainly don't look at like Tom Rosenbauer's podcast. I'm like, well, how can I compete with that? Uh, I don't look at the Taylor Trash guys and be like, well, how can I do what they're doing? Like, I respect both of those podcasts, but they do very different things than I do. And there's dozens more that are out there. And honestly, the fact of the matter is I am listening to less and less other fly fishing podcasts, not because I don't enjoy them, not because they're not good. I'm just really, really busy, and I am consuming a lot more information in other parts of my life. And so I've kind of cut out a lot of those peripheral fly fishing podcasts and focused on the really good ones. Um, but the way I, I see it is that I'm being influenced by other things. I'm just kind of doing what I want to do. I'm telling the story I want to tell. I'm, I'm communicating the message I want to communicate. And I would say the same thing should be true for you when you're doing stuff. Now, of course, if there's expectations for a family member or for a, an employer or from someone else that you are responsible to, then you have to take those things into account. But if you are producing something, produce what you want to make and do it as good as you can. That is the most important thing. Um, don't copy other people. But at the same time, don't um, don't feel like you have to try to do something that competes with somebody else. Um, don't feel like you have to go 180 degrees different than what somebody else is doing. Uh, don't imitate, but uh, you know, be derivative. Find something that is unique. Find something that is you and allow your voice to be the thing that comes through. And the authenticity of that is going to be what distinguishes you from other people in that space. So uh, consistency diversity, and authenticity, if I was to sum it up in three quick words. So Kyle, if you're listening, I hope that your podcast plans are coming along and you said you'd have me on. So I'll uh, I'll make sure that I make time for that if and when that does come about. All right. So the first thing we talked about was boot foot waders. That's the best thing in the world. You need to get a pair. Not really. Um, then we talked about uh, podcasts and other creative content advice that I have. And then thirdly, I have an email from Bo. And Bo writes, Hi, Matthew. You had mentioned on your last streamer podcast episode using furled leaders or a 7.5-foot 2x leader and cutting it back. My question is, have you used a sink tip head and then adding a 2-3-foot to 3x tippet to the streamer? 
What's the difference using sync tip to using a frilled leader? Thanks, Matthew, for your podcast. I always learned something to help me be a better fly fisher. Thanks, Bo. Well, Bo, you are welcome, and thank you for the good question and the kind words. So I answered Bo, and I kind of gave him my my cliff notes on what, what I was talking about in case I was unclear on my streamer uh, podcast episode. But basically what he was asking was, can you use a sync tip? And in that sense, I think what he meant to say was a poly leader in lieu of a furled leader. So let me let me break this down to the component pieces. So you have your fly line. I don't know what fly line is. It is the line, right? Okay. And then at the end of that, you have different, different types of fly line. You have floating fly line and you have sync tip fly line. You have intermediate fly line. You have a a couple of other different options, but basically that's what you're looking at. You're looking at sinking, you're looking at sink tip, and you're looking at floating. Sink tip, the front end goes down, uh, sinking or intermediate, the entire thing goes down. Um, but what we're talking about here is a sink tip, but I don't think that's what he means. I think he means adding a poly leader. So a poly leader is a loop to loop connection. So you need to have a fly line that has a loop on the end, either the welded loop that it comes from the factory with, or you've created some loop using monofilament or another material. And it is a like a three foot section of sinking fly line that you can loop to loop on the end of your floating fly line. And what that will do is it will turn your floating fly line into a sink tip fly line. Now, is this going to be as efficient as a sink tip fly line or as an intermediate or sinking fly line? Absolutely not. It is not going to be as efficient, but it will do in a pinch and it will do really, really well, particularly for fishing streamers. It is not the my favorite thing to do if I'm fishing nymphs, and in fact, like nymphs and wet flies, I really try to stay away from that. I would rather mess with my leader formula and weights and things like that uh, nine out of 10 times than adding a poly leader when I'm fishing wet flies or nymphs, but that's another story. So um, what the poly leader does is you can buy them at different sink rates and things like that, and they will allow your fly line to drop down and it will keep that fly lower in the water column. So his question is, uh, can you use that instead of or in lieu of a furled leader? Now, what is a furled leader? A furled leader is a leader that is made up of many strands of lightweight material. Um, traditionally, um, all leaders are furled leaders. They were made of horsehair or silk or something like that. But now you can get them in monofilament and you can get them also in, um, in fluorocarbon. I personally have only ever used one company's uh, for leaders, Appalachian for leader company, awesome, awesome products. It's been a while since I've had any contact with them, but they, they make great stuff. Um, and so what you have is a tapered leader that goes from thicker, more material tapered at the top to thinner, less material tapered at the bottom. And it creates a nice smooth transition. And it is just really, really good for, for unrolling casts. Um, so this is something completely different. Although they attach to your fly line in the same way in a loop-to-loop -loop connection, and although there may even be some taper in some polyleaders, but I think most of them are straight, they're the same uh, diameter and the same grain weight uh, at the tip as on the, um, the butt. I guess if they're the same, then there's no tipper butt. Um, but although they attach the same and they go on in the same place, they accomplish two very different things. So what you could do, and you're starting to get into a lot of hinge points. And what I mean by hinge points are places where that, when that power and that energy is coming down your fly line as it is unrolling, that when it hits a hinge, so a connection point, and a connection point that's not smooth, so your fly line into a polyleader, 
um, that is going to, you'll actually even see it, where it'll almost have an angle to it um, on, on certain casts. You're going to have that be a place where that energy gets slowed down a little bit because it's not a smooth transition from your fly line into your polyleader. Adding more to the end of that is going to make it more difficult to have a nice presentation. Now, do you need a beautiful, delicate presentation with a streamer? No, but you want to get the distance and the accuracy that you're looking for from those casts. So adding on a furled leader and then adding tippet onto that furled leader now is adding more pieces, more joints, more hinges in that cast. So in a pinch, it would work because that's kind of what poly leaders are for is they're kind of for in a pinch when you don't have that spool on you or you, you haven't invested in a sink tip fly line. So you're kind of dealing with an in a pinch situation already. But if you can all avoid it, then I would say don't use a furl leader in that situation. I would use a tapered leader off the end of a poly leader, or I would use a self-tied leader. Now, that's a whole other conversation, a lot more granular, a lot more details. But for, for all intents and purposes, if you're using a poly leader to get that fly in that line down, then go ahead and use a knotless tapered leader or even straight mono. Um, I, I think going back to the idea of all like the hinge points, uh, your cast is not going to be beautiful with a poly leader. And uh, if you have a knotless tapered leader, go for it. But you could probably use a five or six foot section of straight monofilament, something like 3X or 2X. And you're, you're going to be able to cast it um, because you're going to be having to make significant alterations to your casting stroke to get that poly leader to unroll well, especially if you're using lighter weight lines, four weight, five weight, something like that. But of course, if you don't need that line to get down, or if you're using a sink tip fly line, then by all means, throw a furled leader on there and then add that uh, that tippet at the end of the furled leader. Hopefully that makes sense. These are great things that I could diagram out, but it's very hard to diagram things in a podcast. And even if I did, you're probably listening to this while driving, so that would not be safe at all. So I'm glad I don't get that opportunity. So Bo, thank you for the email. Hopefully between the uh, email back I sent as well as my uh, my podcast, uh, you have what you need to make some good streamer decisions moving into this season. Well, you can probably tell my voice is dying. Tis the season, allergy season. And so hopefully, uh, hopefully you're feeling good. Uh, but as always, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you do have accusations, you know, Matt, why are you all about boot foot waders now? I'm not. I'm not. I just use them for a certain time. Uh, let me know. Matthew at castacross.com. This week on the podcast, uh, two articles. First one's called Trout Power, the Genetics of Native Fish. I talked to um, uh, the good people behind the organization Trout Power who are doing genetic analysis of brook trout strains in the state of New York. Talk about granular. It's granular, it's, it's minutiae, but it's really interesting stuff. So I am giving you a primer in this article called Trout Power, the Genetics of Native Fish. There's much more that you can find out if you go there and follow some of the links, some really interesting information, because there's more to fish genetics, more to different strains of fish than just, is this fish you know dark? Is this fish light? Where are the spots? Where is it found? And uh, the folks at Trout Power, in cooperation with a number of other civilian scientists and university laboratories, are doing some really interesting stuff that have a bearing on observation and how that's such an important part of fly fishing, but also on conservation. So check the article out. Wednesday's article is called Orvis Fools. It's not that crazy. So I hate April Fools. I actually stayed off of Instagram like on April Fools and the day afterwards because um, I oftentimes it may be getting grumpy and old and curmudgeonly, but some of the jokes are just like, I don't know, they, they wear on me. 
anyway, Orvis's is generally does good stuff. Orvis's has Orvis's April Fools has always been good. This year was good too. They did the Orvis HG, the homegrown bamboo fly rod, and they made it uh, the seed packets look like legitimate seed packets. And the idea is you grow your own bamboo fly rod. It's funny, it's cute, and all those things. But that got me thinking. Like, if you love fly fishing, if you love bamboo fly rods, why not see what it takes to cultivate bamboo? I know bamboo can be invasive and can be a problem. I know you're probably not going to be able to grow anything. You're going to be able to turn into a fly rod. And even if you could, would you be able to do it yourself? There's a lot of hurdles to jump there. But why not? Why not have bamboo? It's part of fly fishing. And so have that in your house as opposed to some other dumb plant. So um, that is that is what I wrote about on Orvis Fools. That's a hard word to say, plural. Orvis's Orvis. Orvis Fools. It's not that crazy. All right. This week's recommendation, as, as touted, uh, is simple. This Jesus. All right. So as you probably know, I am vocationally a pastor, and uh, that comes across in ways and shapes and forms in the podcast and and on castingacross.com. And uh, but but I know that's not why people come, and so that's not the what I what I do in this forum. Certainly on Sundays and really the rest of the week, that's what I talk about. He's who I talk about. Uh, he he's the most important thing. Um, but given that this is being recorded uh, the day before Good Friday, uh, leading up until Easter, I thought this was an appropriate time uh, and and hopefully an understandable time for me to say, uh, uh, what do you think about Jesus? Um, do you know him? Do you know what he taught? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he did? Do you understand the significance of Good Friday and of Easter? And uh, does, does he hold a place in your life that he should? Um, so anyway, uh, that being said, if you have questions, let me know, MatthewCastingAcross.com. If you want to know what to read, let me know. If you want to know where you can go worship, uh, I can give you some suggestions. I'm happy to help you with that. Um, again, uh, I don't preach on the podcast. I don't preach on the on the website. Um, I, I have a forum and a format for doing that, but uh, I figure it's okay one week out of the year to share this kind of information. The fact of the matter is you get preached at every time you turn on the news about all sorts of stuff. Um, and Jesus is, is definitely worth your time and energy. Uh, and so I wanted to make that this week's recommendation. That being said, if you're listening to this as when it comes out, I hope you have a good, good Friday and a, a happy Resurrection Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.